it was it was one of the greatest times to be able to make music. I really feel that in my heart. You know, it was just a it was a special and unique time for sure. We're kind of like packing up our guitars, and everybody's getting ready to leave. And and the way I remember it was Stephen saying, I, "I have one more for what it's worth," and there it was. <laughs> and Ahmed said, "Man, we got to record that song. That's a that's a hit." Hello and welcome to episode 65 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks as always for hitting play. Now I'm delighted to have another Rock and Roll Hall of Famer on the show this week. One of those early legendary groups. They were inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame back in 1997 in the same class as Joni Mitchell and Bee Gees and Crosby, Stills and Nash. Now, the group were only together for just over two years, nearly three years, but their influence and legacy certainly remains. Tom Petty, who inducted them into the Rock Hall, said they were beautiful harmonies like a psychedelic orchestra. Now, I am, of course, talking about Buffalo Springfield, and my guest is their founding member, Richie Furey. The core lineup of the band included Richie, his good friend Stephen Stills, and a certain Neil Young as well. But before we hear from Richie, just a quick one to say again, wow and thank you for the reception to the daily This Day Rocks episodes. Still getting such great feedback from them. I'm really glad that you like them too. It was always planned to be a two-month trial kind of thing through May and June. So unless it takes a dramatic downturn next month, it looks like I'm going to have to find a way of producing this daily content for much longer. Also, please do check out the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast series. Mac, or the wolf, and his uh, partner Action Jackson were kind enough to ask me on their show last week, and we did one about the band Oasis. Now, being Americans, they wanted a UK perspective on the group and the musical culture of the time and that sort of thing, so I was flattered to be asked to share my memories with them. So please do look them up, the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. And lastly, some apologies from me as well. As you'll have heard in my voice this week and again now, I've not been too well this week or last week, so I've not been very active on the social medias, So, and I've not been producing the newsletters either for the Vintage Rock Pod VRP VIP, so massive apologies. It's taken my effort to get through the workday, let alone much else. So apologies for not being very present lately. I'll hopefully get back online and do a bit more in the coming days. But back to today's interview then with Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Richie Furey. You'll hear him tell me the famous story of how Fortune made them meet up on Sunset Strip, the making of the group's biggest hit, the feeling in the band, the reunion 10 years ago, the Hall of Fame, another of Richie's legendary groups as well, Poco, and about his new work too. Plenty to dive into with my interview with Richie Furey. Let's start kind of near the beginning then, and the, the very famous story of you guys bumping into each other on Sunset Strip. I mean, it was Neil that had been looking for you and Stephen for, for weeks, wasn't it? And there you were, sat on opposite sides of the, of the carriageway. Crazy, isn't it? I mean, if we would have had cell phones or computers yes. or whatever at that time, it would have been so much easier. But yeah, Neil and Bruce had come down from Canada, and they were specifically looking for Stephen uh, Stills, knowing that he was in uh, in California and had been there for for weeks. And hey, we weren't able to get out. I mean, for crying out loud! I mean, it was like we didn't have any money, so we didn't go any place. So wherever he went, looking for us, but. There we were. He uh, he was leaving town. 
He was on his Sunset. He was on Sunset Boulevard, heading west to the 405 freeway to go to San Francisco. He was done with it, you know. And there, being we were we and what were we doing out on Sunset Boulevard at that time? I have no idea. We were going the opposite direction, but there we were, man. I mean, go figure. <laughs> Indeed. That's the way fate works sometimes, isn't it? But just in terms of that, that era and that time, I mean, L.A. was such a, a wonderful place to be for creative people. It was a real melting pot for everyone to express themselves, wasn't it? It was. It was one of the greatest times to be able to make music. I, I really feel that in my heart. You know, it was just a, it was a special and unique time for sure. Brilliant stuff. And then yeah. yourself and, and Stephen and Neil within Buffalo Springfield were all responsible for, for the songwriting and for, for lead vocal duties as well, which is pretty unusual, especially in, in modern bands today. So how did all that work within the band structure at the time? Well, Stephen and I had gotten together earlier. I had gotten in touch with him after Graham Parsons had brought a record up to me where I was working. I was handing out tools in a tool crib at Pratt and Whitney Aircraft, <laughs> and he brought her. He lived across the street from me in New York, and he brought that uh, that album up. And when I heard that album, I said, "I got to get a hold of Stephen." And so when I finally got a hold of Stephen, he said, "Come on out to California. I've got a band together. All I need is another singer." And so I said, "Let me take." care of my business i'll be there and uh when i got out to los angeles me and steven were the band that was it there was no band i was just like oh, man i'm saying oh what have i done now but anyway again it was perfect because we sat in a little apartment before this time when when we all got together on sunset uh, on sunset boulevard we sat in in a little apartment and and we learned all of Stephen's songs that he had written that would end up on the first buffalo springfield record and we learned how to harmonize we learned how to sing in unison like i mean let's not let's face it you know lennon and mccartney had a sound where they sang together yes. and so that was something that we thought let's model ourselves after that as well <laughs> And so, but we learned how to do harmony. We learned how to phrase together. We learned how to, to sing in unison together. And so it was all a valuable time to that one moment when we met on Sunset Boulevard. And after that, um, you know, when we really started the band, um, for some reason, I don't know what it was. I, I, I didn't really have any songs that were on the very first uh, Buffalo Springfield record. And I ended up singing three of Neil's songs. And one of them was nowadays Clancy Can't Even Sing, which he had taught me back in New York when he had come down to pedal some songs. And I was traveling back and forth from Connecticut to, to, to New York. And, and we met and he taught me that song and uh, I had taught it to Stephen. So it was a song that we could actually play for him, you know, when uh, when we joined up together. And um, uh, but why I ended up singing the, the songs of his, I'm not sure. There's all kinds of stories go out. Well, Neil didn't have a great voice. Well. Baloney. You know, everybody's got a unique voice. and But it ended up the way it was supposed to. And I'm really glad that I was able to sing those uh, those three songs on the first album because I actually have sung them uh, recently in uh, in my own, uh, you know, solo performances over the last several years as a little medley. It was so funny. I got to tell you a story. When we were um, when we did our reunion um, like 10 years ago, can you believe that? Yes. And so we're, we're starting to work out songs. I said, well, Neil, man, let's do these, uh, these, these songs here because I put them in a medley and, and they would be fun to do. No, he just said no. He said, every song has to stand on its own. And so we ended up doing, uh, 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 I know we did Clancy and we did Do I Have to Come Right Out and Say It. I don't think we did Flying on the Ground Was Wrong, but uh, he, he, 
he said those songs all have to stand alone and hey you wrote them you can do what you want but when i do them in my own hey neil's not there i could do the medley (laughs) (laughs) and you brought up the reunion there i mean what 10 years ago or so but uh how did that all come about then well you know i got a note from uh, from neil asking if uh, i would like to perform with him and you know as as buffalo springfield with with steven uh at the bridge school Uh, he was still doing bridge school concerts at the time and i said of course i would i would i'd wanted to do it for a long time and and so that was really what what put us together. And it was really cool because, of course, Bruce and Dewey had passed away before yeah. then. And um, Stephen had uh, had picked, I guess, the drummer, Joey uh, Vitale, and uh, and Neil picked uh, Rick Rosas, who now has, has also left us. And it's uh, it's kind of those are kind of sad stories. But the, I tell you, the band just came together like a I mean, it was just like a glove. It was just. Brilliant. It couldn't have been any better, you know, and so we had fun for those seven shows, but when they were over seven or eight shows, bingo, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice to look back on, absolutely. Um, and in terms of the legacy of the band, I mean, originally you were only together for, what, two or three years, such a really short time span, two years, mm-hmm. three albums, and it's it's incredible that the legacy that you did leave behind from that short, short period of time. It, it, it's amazing to me as well, um, you know. Uh, the first album was the only album that was really the original band at the second album. I think, you know, the restlessness and, and uh, I'm not sure Neil ever really wanted to be in a band. I don't know that he wasn't like the, the, the main focal um, uh, focal part of the band, but then Bruce was having trouble with his immigration situation. There are three Canadians in, uh, yes. in Buffalo <laughs> Springfield. And so um, it, it was just hard to, hard to keep it together. Um, but, um, and that it, it is amazing, the impact that we made when the, the original band, you know, the first record and then the next one, and then the last time around was, I mean, it was like pieced together with Jimmy Messina and myself, and that was it. <laughs> Phenomenal. And we, yeah. we, we like to hear the stories behind some of the big songs. And, and obviously, for what it's worth, is an absolute classic. I mean, what do you remember about the first time you heard, because Stephen wrote it, what do you remember about the first time you heard it or, or you recorded it? I mean, did you have any expect, expectations for it to become as big as it, it did? Well, the first time I heard the song, went right over my head. <laughs> and I'll tell you why it went over my head. Um, I was into Rock and Roll Woman and Bluebird and Mr. Soul and we're Rock and Roll Band. And he, I'll tell you how, uh, here's the story that I remember. We were, you know, the, the first Buffalo Springfield record just kind of didn't get the momentum that I think Atlantic Records thought that it was, you know, was going to was gonna make. Uh, and I have my thoughts about that as well. But uh, Ahmed Erdogan had come out to Los Angeles to hear songs for a second record. And after, you know, Neil played some songs, I played some songs, Stephen played some songs, and we're, we're kind of like packing up our guitars and everybody's getting ready to leave. And, and the way I remember it was Stephen saying, uh, I, I have one more for what it's worth. And there it was. <laughs> and Ahmed said, man, we got to record that song. That's a, that's a hit. And, he's, and that was it. But to me, it was, it was like it was a folk song. You know, it was like a little folk song. And I, I didn't hear it. And um um, so it went right over my head, but obviously it didn't go over Ahmed's head and it became the biggest record that uh, Buffalo Springfield had. Absolutely incredible. And we talk about the legacy and things and we have to mention 1997 when you guys were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, again, what, what do you remember about that, the whole process of being nominated and then the feeling of actually being inducted along with such great acts in the same year? 
Yeah, well, I got a call from uh, from from Neil, and he said, "Man, hey, I'm really happy. We're going to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and it's going to be so cool to see you know." And then, um, and then the next thing I did, got was a fax saying he wasn't <laughs> going to be there. But um, uh, what I what I do remember about it was, you know, it, it was an honor. You know, I mean, we went in with. Uh, um, I, I mean, Michael Jackson and the Jackson Five and Joni Mitchell, I think, were inducted that night. Um, trying to think, obviously, Crosby, Stills and Nash were inducted that night. And I don't know if that had some kind of effect on Neil or not, because it wasn't Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if that had an effect or not. But, um, you know, it was it was it was a real neat night. I wish we could have played. We didn't play that night because um, it was just one of those nights when there was only part of the band that was there, you know? And uh, so, uh, but the way it turned out, but, but it was, it was an honor to be recognized, um, you know, by peers in the music business and all as uh, being inducted into, uh, in, into this little class of people. So it, it was kind of cool. Cool indeed. And we have to mention Poco as well. I mean, another legendary group that you helped form after your time in Buffalo Springfield. Now that first album, Picking Up the Pieces, it's often uh, regarded as a pioneering album release for country rock and roll and things like that. I mean, it laid the groundwork for bands like the Eagles to come afterwards, didn't it? Absolutely, it did. Well, I, I was kind of like a farm team for the Eagles uh, bass players, but uh, <laughs> yes. Randy and Timothy. But yes. um, yeah, it, it was something that, you know, Jimmy Messina and I uh, decided, you know, that when Buffalo, because he was our last bass player, we decided, you know, hey, when when this breaks up, you know what, let's just pick up the pieces and move on. And uh, so I wrote that song. Um, I always said that as long as Stephen was in the band, I was in the band. I always felt the Buffalo Springfield was Stephen's band as far as the heart and soul of the band. Maybe it was because I had a relationship with him, you know, from New York yeah. earlier on. But uh, as long as he was there, I was going to be there. But when Stephen decided it was time to he was time for him to move on, uh, that's when we just decided to pick up the pieces. And so Jimmy and I set out to put a band together that was going to be one, a band across you know, country music from the rock side over to uh, the countryside. So, yeah. And how did you feel at the time? Because I've seen different reports and reviews and things, and you've got the country people saying it's a bit too rock and the rock people saying it's a bit too country. I mean, uh, obviously you were the first kind of people that were doing this big time. So, so how did you feel at the time? Well, you know, you feel like you're between a rock and a hard place because mm -hmm. that was it. You know, I mean, we uh, we were experimenting with different sounds, although the birds were doing something yes. at the same time with Sweetheart of the Rodeo. And um, and then Graham Parsons had also started a band with with Chris Hillman. There's a there's a connection, the birds, Chris, <laughs> and then over here, the Burrito Brothers and Chris and and all. But, um, uh, so there were some other people that were you know, definitely had kind of like the same view. I think Graham uh, was going more from a countryside to the rock side where we were going from the rock side to the countryside. But um, yeah, it was, we had as we had great reception at the Troubadour where we were really, that's where we were kind of like a house band there for a while, while we were getting started and, and all, but um, it was difficult to, uh, actually connect with radio at the time except for fm fm radio you know they latched onto it and everybody was saying hey this is it you know but it was we were plowing up fallow ground man it was hard it was hard um hard stuff but somebody had to do it and so we did <laughs> <laughs> absolutely indeed. you gotta play what's in your heart 
you know, and that was what was in our heart at the time. And I've heard you say that before as well. The country and the rock was was you. It was your type of music, and that leads us nicely to to, to your new album, which is coming out so, shortly. Indeed, I mean, in the country, it's 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 an album of some of your favourite songs that you've recorded, hasn't it? So, what? Give us some background info. Why have you decided to do this, and and why have you chosen the songs that you've chosen for this record? Well, it was kind of off the wall for me. I was doing a benefit for autism out in California, in Pasadena, and uh, Val Gray. Uh, came to the show with uh, a good friend of ours, Michael Miller. I'd known Val forever. I mean, from Buffalo Springfield days before he became the big producer that he, uh, that he was. And, uh, and, all, and he came and he, he said, hey, how would you like to do another record together? We recorded in 1979, I Still Have Dreams, which was a great record for me to, I love that record still to this day. Um, but I said, well, what do you have in mind? And he said, well, why don't we do an album of, Iconic, he used the word iconic country songs. And I'm thinking, well, what does that mean? So he said, well, let's just kind of put to, put together some songs. You make a list and I'll make a list and we'll see if we if we connect. The first song that Val had on his list was the first song that I had on my list. So there's another one of those nice. <laughs> connection things. And it was a song that I heard while I was up in Montana. And I was fly fishing and having a good time up there. And we were driving from different places. And this song came on the radio. But it kept going in and out because the reception was so bad. But it was a song that I said, boy, when I get home, I got to find. I mean, I was I had caught a little bit of the of the of the chorus. And I found out the song was a song called Your Love Amazes Me that John Barry had a big hit of. And when that when I saw that Val had that same song on his list, it was like <laughs> bingo, man. We can go straight ahead. And so we we sorted out songs. I I sent a list and and he sent a list, and uh, we started to um, you know to obviously you know cut the list down and we cut it down to fourteen songs, and um, and then decided all right we're heading to Nashville and going to start recording these songs now. Record uh, picking the songs, I think. I'm gonna let me just let me look at this album for a oh, minute. Yes. <laughs> and, there you go. And, and just look at, at some of the songs because I, I'm looking at uh, somebody like you. I hope you dance. Uh, she don't know she's beautiful. Your love amazes me. Um, Lonesome town, walking in Memphis. I'm already there in this life, and and written in chalk or chalk. Were song, those are songs that I've wanted to do. And um, you know, Val Val suggested take me home, country roads. Um, I think I'm in a hurry and uh, the river and um, but other than that those were all songs that somewhere along the line had had touched me uh, for whatever reason uh, Lonesome Town obviously because of my you know I mean Ricky Nelson being such an influence I wanted to do that and the only other song that we didn't get recorded um, was a song because we did have two other songs. We had I Crossed My Heart by George uh, Strait and Picking Up the Pieces. And I'll tell you how Picking Up the Pieces got recorded was because we tried to do George Jones's She Thinks I Still Care. And it was just a song that we just couldn't really get away from the original feel of the song like with lonesome town you listen to ricky nelson and you listen to what what we did on this record it's like it, it's a new song it's a new song and that was one thing that we really wanted we we didn't want to make these songs just karaoke or songs that um you know oh well, that was nice they just did a little redo of the song you know um, we wanted to make them special and i wanted to make them my own 
And um, we couldn't do that with She Still Thinks I Care. So we did picking up the pieces one take at the end of the day. After four days oh, nice. of recording 14 songs, we, we did it. And um, But all of these songs had really, I mean, somebody like you, I remember hearing that song and then looking at the video and, and Keith Urban, man, he did such, I, this guy, man, is such a talented guy, man. I can't even believe it. I mean, he can, he's, he's the real deal, you know? And, um, but I just loved that song. It just brought a smile to my face, man. I, it's all, you know, I can say, and go clear down to the other one here on this one written in chalk. The first time I heard that song, a friend of mine said a, um, in fact, is they just call it chalk now, but a friend of mine had posted it on social media and I saw it and it said, uh, um, this song is so new, it doesn't even have a title. And it was Buddy Miller singing it with, uh, you know, he had a couple other guys in the studio. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the video of that or not, no, no. but I, I sat and I listened to that song over and over and over and over again i said man i gotta record that song if i ever get another opportunity and so there there it ended up on on the record you know but some of these songs were they were personal um um you know some of them like uh, i'm already there which i have my daughter singing like a little duet with me on the second verse when it says um she got back on the phone and then she comes in with, I really love you and goes on from there, you know, just here in the back. But it's a song that, man, I couldn't, when, when Lone Star did the song, it was a song that I would listen to and I didn't even know if I was going to be able to record it because I would just listen to it and I'd just break out in tears. I don't, it just, it just grabbed me so much in my heart, man. I just, I just didn't know if I was going to be able to do it. And I, I we did it. But the main thing was I just wanted to do these songs where people didn't listen to the album. And it was a challenge. It was a challenge because, you know, these were big hits by big yes. artists. And I, I, I'm not in competition. I don't want, you know, well, I'm not trying to be in a competition with Keith Urban for a crying out loud. But I want him to hear the song and say, man, you know, he did a really good job on that song. As uh, You know, I hope um, Leanne Wilma can hear I Hope You Dance and say, man, that's a they did a good job. Or uh, Sammy Kershaw, you know, she still thinks she, uh, you know, she don't uh, what she don't know. She's beautiful, whatever. Um, but we didn't want to do karaoke. We wanted to make them our own. And so we kind of, you know, went after those in the arrangements, you know, walking in Memphis is not a piano song now. It's a guitar song. And so well, I, I hope, you know, and I guess the proof will be in the pudding, you know, when it finally hits the big market out there, you know, because <laughs> I, I don't know what to say, but I, I hope people hear because I look at these songs and, and you know how you can make your own little playlist now. And it's almost like, well, this is my playlist. I love to put this in the radio or in the, in the car. I know CDs aren't a big deal anymore, but you make your own playlist. And so this was my playlist and I hope everybody enjoys my playlist. And everyone can enjoy your playlist from, I think it's July the 8th, isn't it? That this is coming out officially, <laughs> although there's a little... Sneak preview beforehand. Yeah, absolutely. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Richie. I mean, if anyone wants to keep in touch with what you're doing and what you're up to, have you got a website, social media, that kind of thing? Richie, yeah, I'm on, I'm on very few, but the one I am on is Facebook, and it's called it's RichieFuray.com, R-I-C-H-I-E-F-U-R-A-Y at, uh, dot com. So that's, that's it, and they can get in touch and keep up and see what we're doing and, 
and uh, just chit chat because I'm a social guy. I'll, I'll chit chat with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Richie. I wish you the best of luck. Hey, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much. The brilliant Richie Furey there. Right, now is the time of the show to do the top fives, and this week I'm going to give you my favourite five songs from Buffalo Springfield. Despite only being together for a short time and only having three records, the selection is certainly deep to choose from. Now remember, this is my personal choice. It's highly subjective. I don't expect you to agree. In fact, I'd love to hear if you do disagree. Please do reach out with your own top fives this week too. So here you go, my top five favourite Buffalo Springfield songs according to Vintage Rock Pod. At five is a track that is a hidden gem, literally. It wasn't included on any of their releases during their time together. It finally got to see the light of day when the 2001 box set was released. It's a great song with great production, including some backward guitar action in there too. At five is Down to the Wire. At four is the debut single they released on their first album. It's one of Neil's compositions. It's a great bit of storytelling and it's a fantastic song. At four is Nowadays Clancy Can't Even Sing. At three is a rocking number of theirs. Stephen Stills wrote this and it's an upbeat foot tapper. The interplay between the different guitars on this, from the 12 string to the electric, is brilliant and it's marshalled by an incessant bouncing drum beat. At three is Bluebird. Number two is one of Neil Young's signature songs, one he's performed many times during his solo career as well. It's another upbeat rocking track with a real Rolling Stones vibe to it. And number two is Mr. Soul. Any girl in the world could have easily known the inventor. She said, you're strange, but don't change, and I let her. And at number one is their signature song, The Big One, released over 45 years ago. It still resonates today. Written as a counterculture song, its sound is distinctly unique and remains a classic. The number one Buffalo Springfield song, according to Vintage Rock Pod, is For What It's Worth. Step out of line, the man come and take you away. You better stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going now, stop. So there you go, my top five songs from Buffalo Springfield. As I said, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this list. Where do you agree or disagree? Let me know. Email me at vintagerockpod at gmail.com or you can catch me on any of the social media platforms on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or YouTube. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod and you'll find me there. I do hope you enjoyed today's episode and if you did, please do hit the subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on so you don't miss any future episodes, including the This Day Rocks daily episodes that are heading your way. 
As for the big interview show next week then, I can tell you that the guest is an Irish bass player who played with a legendary guitarist throughout his whole career, appearing on all his solo albums, which shifted just the 30 million copies. Definitely worth checking out to hear his stories on next week's big interview. Well, that's it for me this time, though. My throat has just about got through it. Remember, if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of rock, just tell them my music is better than yours. Take care.